Sure. Well, it's interesting. I was very proud of SMF this year. Um, uh, I do not, I, I am not going to take credit in any way, shape or form, but right. there may have been, I may have had a small influence on moving to uh, slightly more historically accurate um, fabrics. Likewise. <clears throat> Likewise. Linen. Um, there was linen everywhere. I was so excited. The textiles archaeologist in me went, thank Likewise, though, I, I obviously did a couple videos in a podcast with Caleb, who played um, uh, the king this year. Mm -hmm. And we did a completely historical getup for him. Completely historical. And nice. looking at the pictures of everybody else, I'm like, oh, well, I see he's at least the one that's historical. But oh no, there was definitely not. But there, so <clears throat> oh so yeah, I it's have, not really bad. It just yeah, it was like little niche things that you could still pick out. Oh yeah. Right? Oh my god, home. I could, I could do that forever on everybody. I could do that forever on myself. I mean, like we can mm -hmm. always get better. But um, I I um, I have spent so many years in theater. Um, I started to I I realized that this year was my thirtieth year doing um festivals. Mm -hmm. like that was painful uh sort of like hey look i've been doing this for 30 years excuse me while i go drown myself um yeah. but <laughs> let me let me quickly as we do a cold open here yeah. uh introduce everything and everyone yeah. uh obviously i am the host here of the talk past podcast on the medieval content channel that i'm trying to do more than just this podcast on but uh i'm gonna be recording a bunch of things to start hopefully doing weekly in January. So this episode will be the first uh, Monday of January. I don't know what day that is. I'm changing it from... Yeah, it's second. second. I'm changing it from an end of month to first of the month since we skipped November, December. But anyhow, mm. uh, of course, you, please uh, let everybody know who you are, as I know who you are. But, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, my name is Stephanie Moffat. Uh, I am the creative director for Dragon's Head Productions um, and a continuing uh, student of anthropology. Uh, I'm about five months off of my first degree for it, so I'm super excited about that. And uh, while I study in the United States, which means it makes it very hard to be able to actually major in viking anthropology um many of my professors have indulged me and my viking insanity <laughs> yep. so uh, uh let's start and kind of sine wave into a few uh different categories of topic but sure. first let's discuss obviously the production aspect because that's how i know you specifically mm -hmm. uh obviously from uh i think first time being Obviously, maybe I have a cat in the how in the room uh, from SMF <laughs> doing obviously our Viking year with uh, here we are. Sorry, cat. Uh, no, I I King have Alfred four of them myself. And, yep, uh, doing King Alfred. <clears throat> I think I don't know if that was our first meeting. Uh -uh. Maybe, maybe not. No, I, it certainly wasn't our business. first meeting, but it was definitely I think the first time we we spent any appreciable time in each other's company. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, not our first meeting, but certainly our getting to know each other time. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, 
not because I was King Alfred and y'all were Vikings. So, uh, yes, but we're not that type of Viking, which a lot <laughs> don't realize. No, uh, no, it is, it has been, uh, and continues to be a challenge, mm-hmm. um, using my corporate talk. Um, it's, it's a real challenge sometimes to get people to break out of this horrifying stereotype that we have of the Viking Age Norse people. Um, we, we call them Vikings, which, uh, they probably never called themselves. <laughs> yeah, no, it was um, just a job. It was, well, and, and not even truly a job. It was more like, uh, it was Pirates. almost like, Hey, we're not going to go on vacation. We're going to go Viking, you yeah. know, we're going to go, but it could mean more than just raiding. It could also mean trading. It could, it, vi- mm-hmm. going a Viking from a lot of the research I've done, um, the, the best, we have about what Viking meant uh, currently is that it's any trip that took more than the full complement of the boats, people at or more than once. So usually it meant over 24 hours. <clears throat> yeah. And, and so that any time you left for more than 24 hours on a ship was going Viking. Right. And of course, most people refer to them as how we think of them, like the pirate ones, you know, the, the raider raiders, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the ones that sure. raided, you know, churches and such. But obviously with SMF this year, they were doing Canute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if, if you would agree, but I kind of interpret that as they're already at this point, what, 200 years after the fact of um, the Battle of Eddington that we had did previously. So, I mean, they're kind of already like, Full on, you know, living in the land. They're like generations oh, yeah. at this point. So they're Absolutely. not Viking. They're not immigrants. They're literally like people who have been like three generations in America. You know. Yes. Yeah. Go back to. But your they country. were still different. My country. You know. Yeah. But they were they um, were still different. They still had a different culture. I mean, the cultures were beginning to uh, certainly right. beginning to. Um, you know, mesh together to some degree. But I think a lot of the reason they didn't was basically Christian versus heathen. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in a time when belief was a lot bigger part of people's lives than it is, generally speaking, in Western cultures today. Yeah. Uh, I definitely interpreted it as more of, you know, a kind of taking on a modern spin of like nationalism versus immigration. And they just, mm people that were different than them. <clears throat> sure. So automatically that meant whether it was King Alfred toward, uh, you know, the Greek heathen army who were, mm-hmm. seems like they were just trying to immigrate somewhere. And, uh, uh, Canute and, and Edmund is just like, y'all have been here the same time, but just because you're slightly different, you don't like each other. Um, <laughs> kind of that sort of what? scenario. Not that Vikings doesn't happen with people. That doesn't happen with people at all. That's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, how dare you uh, dress differently and, and, and bathe every week? Oh, what is wrong with you? And all of our women like you because you smell nice. <laughs> but uh, when uh, when did you start reenactment or at least the performing for, for things such as this nature, historical? So, oh, wow. Um, performing in a historical venue, um, I mean, really, you can go back to my freshman year in high school when I started on Shakespeare. Um, like that's why I, I really come from a very improvisational and yet classical training. 
um, when it comes to theater, mm -hmm. uh, which is, is always, I can always feel them like warring inside of me. Um, the classically trained actor is like, what are you doing? And the improvisationalist is like, I'm having fun. You should try it sometime, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so uh, kind so, of reminds me that, not to interrupt, that mm -hmm. reminds me of that very small scenario. I was playing, uh, well, I was trying to be an honest romantic, but I'm pretty sure I came across as a lecher. But uh, <laughs> I was throwing roses, roses out into the crowd, and you're like, that, that's cool and all, but you should probably look at somebody when you when you throw it. Like, uh, perhaps, yes. I think that's more the I I I had more the the improv than the the classical, but then I also did several theater plays. But continue. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I I yeah I have I people are always like you should send me your resume for acting. No, it's so painful to pull it all out because um, I've I've been on the stage since I was five, um, so I've all I performer is just in my blood. Um, I, I, the whole grease paint in your veins thing is, is definite and sawdust under your feet. I am definitely one of those people. Um, but in Florida, <laughs> uh, trying to make a living as an, as a professional actor, good luck. Um, yeah. so basically, uh, so a few of us got together and, um, there's been a couple of different incarnations of this until we came to Dragon's Head and, um, basically to, to, be able to work independently rather than um, in a cast where you have to give up four to five months of your life sometimes mm -hmm. of your weekends to try to be in a cast. And I was like, I think there's, there's other ways to do this and there's nothing wrong with it. I, I loved being on, on a, on a cast where you have that tight, close knit family. Um, I loved it, but um, I just, life, you know, I'm, I'm a mom and, mm -hmm. you know, I work, and school and uh you know just all the things that come along and you know the more the older you get the more entangled you are generally in your responsibilities and of course that's yeah. where i'm at so um we we realized that we might be able to do some other things uh in the in the interim before all of this um somebody i, I was on a very long search for for many years to find what i believed in like my personal belief system. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was raised in an unusual sect of Christianity. Um, so I kind of have like a had a different angle on that and tried lots of different flavors of Christianity and Judaism and uh, not as much on Judaism because that's not really a very easy, easily like, hey, I'm just going to go check out the synagogue. It doesn't quite work like that. Um, but I, I tried a lot of different things. And for a long time, I ended up as uh, um, a Taoist. So that whole balance thing, which definitely yeah. has shaped who I am today. But then somebody uh, introduced me to uh, Norse mythology and Norse mysticism. And I saw, I just, I saw a rendition of Freya and went, oh, <laughs> you're what I've been looking for my whole life. Mm -hmm. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've spoken to several people that uh, attach to Norse mythology as a current uh, religious ideology. Mm -hmm. Some of them obviously not involved in what we do, mm -hmm. but others that kind of just still find some relation to that on a human level. Mm -hmm. um, myself, not so much. I'm not, I'm not as big into the magic, right. Mm -hmm. uh, as I am more the, the grounded people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that is still something that is fascinating because it's it's written by the people. It's it's an interpretation of themselves, and there is such a, a depth of relatability, even in uh, things that are supposed to be gods and mm-hmm. and creatures and such. So you know uh, the fact that something so so old is still modern and relatable mm-hmm. and easy to to get into and 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 become with like if i i i am obviously atheistic um, okay in in that i'm i'm just i'm just more science based mm-hmm. uh, i like art <clears throat> see art as my spirituality um oh. but if if i were to choose one it definitely probably would be norse mm-hmm. because that again more closely aligns with kind of my thoughts uh I understand that. Yeah, I I truly do. Because I've found a lot of people who a lot of people are floating in in uh, belief uh, nexus, if you will, like, I don't know exactly, I can't find a thing. And, uh, and then they look at me and they're like, you're so happy with where you're at and why. And so I start to talk to them about it. And I was like, why, why heathenism or why you know, Norse shamanism, which is where I have gotten to as I continue to evolve as a an idealizing thinking person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a belief system. Um, what I have is some ideas about what I think is going on. Yeah. Um, and and ideas are great because ideas can be changed. Beliefs hard to change. Ideas okay. You know, you can move forward. It's kind of that science thing that you're talking about. But um, as as I've I've moved through that, a lot of people are like, you you look so happy. And I was like, well, I, I think that's because the the Norse base, the real one, I'm not talking about some of the sects of of Norse belief that <clears throat> like and uh well one there's I, I don't want to call anybody out. I, I don't want to call anybody's belief systems out because that's 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 what I'm trying not to do. Um right. but there are definitely some that while they that there are definitely practitioners who are certainly not racist and are not genderist and are not ageist and are not this, this, this ism, millions of isms. Mm. Um, But unfortunately just the base of the spirituality kind of causes it. It was always my problem with, with, um, and, and here I am going to call something out, but uh, Wiccan, when I, when I went through the whole Wiccan period of my life, um, my problem was my experience of it this is, please don't anybody get mad at me. My experience of it was it was very man hating in a lot of ways. And I don't hate men. I have no problem with anybody's gender, Wh- whatever it may be. I don't have any problem with your sexuality. As long as you're not hurting somebody else, life is good. Yeah. Um, That's sort of, but, um, I remember from, from the old TV show back in the 2010s with Penn and Teller, uh, BS, obviously it's just a PG podcast, but, um, i i don't know if it was on there but it definitely directly came from their religious episode i think but Mm. Penn talked about teams how everybody wants to be on a team Mm. and and he realized that we're all and i kind of started to realize we're all sort of like the same we're all human we all have interests dislikes likes whatever you know Mm -hmm. i have friends of every walk of life Mm mm-hmm uh, some of which I don't agree with. Some of which yeah, I do. me too. And I find that, in all honesty, those things are very minute, and it's mostly the stuff we have in common, and the very basic 
grounded human experience that everybody seems to have. So uh, I understand where people come from with all of their beliefs and, and how they might mold their beliefs into fitting their experience. But uh, ultimately, you know, we're all human and nothing is, is truly black and white. And oh, yeah. uh, uh, obviously, you know, we're all, we're all different and that's just kind of how it's going to be. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's various sects of, uh, of paganism and, mm -hmm. and Wiccanry, I've noticed. Obviously, I've, I've, I've never been involved in Wiccanry because I have a family that, or at least one person in the family that watched Charmed 24-7 and I just got sick Oh my. Oh yeah. my. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like I had a roommate that watched Doctor Who 24-7 and I'm just like, mm. I don't want anything to do with Doctor Who. You might find an episode I like, but please don't. But right. um, please so, don't feel please don't feel like you have to share it with me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, gotcha. although there are episodes I like, but anywho, mm -hmm. uh, so so I get it. But it's like, eh, you know, there's more than one opinion, and there's more yeah. than correct opinion. And I think that's what's wonderful. I mean, I I found recently the rock that I feel I will die on uh, when it comes to all of it, and it for me this is the statement that says it all. And that is, we are beautifully diverse, yet equally human mm -hmm. um, for every person. And um, I do feel like there needs to be a lot more anthropology taught uh, in high school. I think you should take two anthropology classes a year or, uh, uh, you know, before you graduate. And I think you should have one in your freshman because I think that's a very definitive time. Uh, and then I think you need to have one as a senior because you've moved through that really really creepy weird holy what has happened to me teenage years in the western culture mm -hmm. um and and you're a little more settled into who you are not not perfectly certainly but you know 17 18 you're you're a little more who you are probably for the longer term exactly. um and so i think you should have two anthropology classes because uh, i think what we lack more than anything else in the world. Uh, I mean, there's lots of things, but I think what we lack is the ability to um, not just empathize with other people, but to take ourselves out of our own personal biases for a moment and look mm -hmm. at somebody else and say, oh, well, I don't like this thing that you do. Why do you do it? Can you help me to understand the yeah. larger picture here? So that yeah. I don't have to dislike what you're doing so as I can understand it. You still don't have to like it. I don't like female genitalia cutting. I don't like it. I have a whole lot of problems with it. I mm -hmm. recognize I have a massive bias. However, I cannot judge or I should not judge. I am not able to anymore because of anthropology. I cannot judge an entire culture based on a single practice. And, and that is something that we have a strong tendency to do. Yeah. Um, if everyone so had that's a, my theory. <laughs> the opportunity to learn different human pers uh, there's the C word coming in messing up my mind. Here we are. Uh, perspectives. Yes. Um, that would be nice. I mean, granted, in high school, I would not have touched it. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, my interest in history is only kind of sagged now that I had the time to. Yeah. Where was it in the 10 years I was doing the festival? I don't know. It's so funny. But, uh, I, I uh, was the same way in high school. I didn't like history i was actually decent at it i did well i didn't have to i had didn't have to take a single history in high in college because of the history i had taken and the ap exam i took mm -hmm. um however um nobody ever explained to me that there was actually something that i was interested in which in history i was never interested in dates and times and places and 
rulers. I'm just kind of like, nah. I, nah, yeah. I don't care. I don't want it. In, what in I'm similar... really... Go ahead. Sorry. I was like, what I'm really into is the culture, how people were, the every man person. I want to know about what their life was like. And now nobody ever told me, oh, yeah, that's called anthropology. Mm-hmm. Same here. Oh. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> in a completely different vein, but same idea. You know, I grew up in love with uh, one of my passions besides cosmos, uh, you know, the universe kind of thing. Mm-hmm be dinosaurs paleontology mm-hmm. i tried to groom myself into taking the the educational path to be a paleontologist but mm. then kind of psyched myself out thinking oh oh crap if i become a paleontologist i have to move to boring montana and study tyrannosaurus <laughs> and nobody wants to study tyrannosaurus um but but as soon as i moved down here i started volunteering for a museum and um Realized very quickly, well, crap, there's 10 billion different venues just even for that. And I listened to a, a paleontology podcast that actually divulged into this because there is no college course on paleontology like there might be for maybe uh, anthropology and history. Um, it's it's just, okay, well, what do you like? And then there you go. You know, had I had the maturity or somebody told me that, you know, I would have, I'd probably be a paleontologist hmm. but in the same vein. That's kind of how that is where, you know, you have this general idea of something, but it's, it's not that way. It's not the mainstream. It's not Indiana Jones and it's not Jurassic park. <laughs> it's much, much more niche than that. And you can make it as niche as you want it. Oh yeah. I mean, I study the textiles of the Viking age um, is, is like one of my main areas of study. Uh, and yet that's not really what I just wrote my, my final paper for my anthropology degree on. It wasn't, that wasn't what it was um, because I, the, te- I, well, I had a, I had a 2000 word, 2,500 word limit. So mm-hmm. uh, there's no way I could really get enough said uh in textiles and none of my teachers know textiles because it's such a weird thing it was like you do what yeah um but uh but i'll ask my teachers is okay can i do textiles of this and they're like well i mean if you could find the the resources i'm like i got them and they're like you what i'm like i have them and then i'm like can i use my own pictures like of my own stuff or do i have to use stuff and they're like wait you have your own stuff i'm like yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> and they're like, sure, of course you can. I'm like that, nice. that would would fascinate me right now because that is my biggest area in the Viking uh, age is textiles. Mm. All of not all of my books, but a big vast majority of the books that I have are textiles. Um, I'm really trying very hard, but with my full time job and this and that, mm. to do sewing projects for the channel that involve historical finds and mm. and trying to find the actual textiles and use those and this and that. So that right now is my sort of area of interest. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, fighting, which obviously I do for SMF is not historical no matter what. And we have nothing for fighting for, for the Viking age. So why bother? Well, it's impossible. The <laughs> only thing we can do is take the weapons that they used and human bodies, which are, are pretty much the same. We haven't really changed that much in a thousand years. We've gotten fatter, 
certainly in our culture, uh, not you, but the rest of us. Um, (laughs) But um, I mean, there are just only certain ways that the body moves. Now, can we be sure how everybody fought? No, but there wasn't a school for fighting either. You know, we, we really, I have a lot of discussions with people about the difference between history and and anthropology and people like the same thing. And I was like, they are most certainly not the same thing because history cannot be anthropology. I mean, well, history is anthropology, but anthropology isn't history and people can't understand it. And I was like, well, history has to have written language or it's not history. We call things history that aren't history all the time. Uh, it's really anthropology or it's archeology. span um, and, and I mean, it's, it's, they're used interchangeably, but it's actually incorrect. So, um, I have these conversations with people and I was like, no, they're not the same thing. And this is the difference. And what you need to understand about the Viking age, especially the Viking age, Nordic peoples is while they had a written language, they didn't use it in such a way that it left us their personal thoughts on what was happening in their world. That wasn't the language that they had. And um, very interesting, if you have not yet read it, I highly recommend um, getting a copy of it, or you may not want to buy it, as expensive as snot, but uh, The Valkyries Loom by Michelle Hayer-Smith. She's done an amazing breakdown of textiles, but she's also done this this as a social cultural anthropology, not just the hard archeology, span uh, which is actually my interest as well. So it's really fascinating to me that other people are going, wait a minute, we've left women out of Viking age history for long enough. These people had a lot to do with how successful the Viking age people were, but yeah. we can't find that in history because it wasn't written down. Oh, you know, we have to look to the archeology. span Oh, it's 70 bucks for hardcover. I'll buy that. I'd oh, it's buy. only, it's down to 70. Nice. Cause it was 90 for mine. It's not a very big book. It's great. It's real easy. It's well, it's a little thick, but um, it is really nice to, it's like one of those I can carry around with me, which I love yeah. that. Cause most of my textile books are very large and tomey. <laughs> They're just mm-hmm. huge. It's like uh, I could break my toe if I drop it on me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Once I, once I build up the interest or, or the courage or whatever it is, to turn this camera on, people will be able to see right behind me, or if I rearrange my little shelf here. Um, mm-hmm. I got a lot of real thick books for the Viking Age, a lot of thin ones too, but um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes the thicker the better, because there's just so much more information. Um, yeah, but not always. Uh, not I mean, but, I, uh, so I have... The ones that I have, absolutely. But, uh, I have I three shelves. Great. I have three shelves of Viking Age stuff, and uh, and that doesn't count all of the Kindle and the millions of articles because I have mm-hmm. the wonderful uh, resource right now because I'm a student at the University of Florida that I have access to the University of Florida's library system, and yeah. uh, I f- I feel like a child in a can- oh look at the things and the stuff and the yay it's insane <laughs> oh yeah I, I I I'll be honest you know I pay for articles and I post them up here. Mm-hmm. for for in the discord uh in our private section for nice. information that we're looking up you know we did that for for edmund and, and a few other things so mm-hmm. i don't care you know uh, so long as the information is available i think information should be readily available but if it's not then oh well you know i, I need it so i'm gonna do it 
I think um, one of the hardest parts about it, though, is and I and I have this I, I have been on record so many times again, another one of those rocks I'm going to die on, which is mm-hmm. scientists have to stop talking like scientists. Um, they yeah, we all have egos. Let me yeah. let me say that we all have egos. Um, and to a certain degree, when you're in academia and uh, you're always talking to other academics, you absolutely forget that nobody understands what anthropological kinship means unless they've specifically studied anthropology. It's a very, it's not an easy concept to understand. We understand kinship like, oh, those are my kin. No, (laughs) not exactly what they're talking about. Um, Related, but not. I think someone put it best. I don't know who. One of the, (laughs) sorry, going to cough real quick here. Uh, one of one of the TV um, theoretical physicist personalities, either Neil deGrasse Tyson or Michio Kaku, who knows? Who cares? Um, put in <laughs> that you should know enough about a topic to be able to convey it to a layman's and, yes. and, and be correct as best as you can. And I think those people are really the best minds because if you can make someone who is has no concept of anything that you're talking about, understand what you're talking about, even on a basic level, then that is much more important than, uh, you know, putting out all of the the niche words that you might have in that field. That kind of thing obviously should still be there. It has Um, to be there. Like advanced, you know, reading. Well, it has um, to be. You're conveying to the people. you need to tell the other scientists who are going to go back and check your work, your peers, your peer reviews. Yeah. They need to be able to see your methodology and they need to be able to see your, you know, maybe not your raw data, but certainly, you know, what your statistical base of your raw data is. Um, they, they have to have that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the point is, we have to take that. And it, and I feel like it should be done at the same time. You publish your article, your scientific article. It's been checked by your peers. Okay, that's what peer review is. Um, it has been gone over by people who are experts also in the field to say, "Wow, you know, yeah, I think you're right." As soon as you can get that published within a month, maybe two, you should publish, or 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 get a journalist to publish a correct, but Simplified. readable by a high school graduate. Yeah, it doesn't have to be you don't have to make it, you know, so a child could read it. No, that's silly. But but a high school graduate should be able to read it and understand 80 to 90 percent of what you're talking about. Or you haven't done your job as a scientist, in my opinion. Yeah, to me, I would I would see it as as you should be able to to grasp their attention fully and you be you could talk for like an hour long study and they are still engaged yeah i do that with with the people that i'm interested in whether it's theoretical physics or paleontology Mm -hmm. like i'm loving the the current argument between paleontologists regarding spinosaurus and 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 all that fun stuff but you still (laughs) need somebody to be like well this is the layman's of what everyone's thinking and and this is literally what we have yeah and how you, you might be able to interpret the information. Right. Um, but let's cycle I mean, back a little bit yeah. oh, before. No, 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 no. I just, it's, it's, it's so important. And um, honestly, um, 
a, a lot of science is responsible for a lot of the misinformation out there. And that is ridiculous, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because nobody's gone back. And, and on a, you know, in all fairness, not all scientists are like you and I, where we're performers and we have no problem standing up in front of people and saying, no, <laughs> you look at the data. Uh, we don't have that problem, but a, a lot of scientists are not the stand up in front of everybody type. So um, we, I guess we need a few more of us that uh, have generally avoided it. We've a lot of us have avoided science uh, because we're like, oh, we have to do all that math or we have to do this. We have to do that. Um, and it, it turns out there's a there's a science for almost everybody. And there's an amazing amount of creativity in science that nobody tells you about until you go to become a scientist. Like, not wait, wait a minute. That. Not only that, but uh, uh, I've noticed specifically with paleontology, uh, but it's also everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's everywhere, everything. But specifically because, you know, my love, uh, dinosaurs, Spinosaurus, my favorite. But it's also a very hotly debated dinosaur. It's, it's mm -hmm. a pretty messed up dinosaur. Um, <laughs> everybody's got an opinion and everybody mm -hmm. thinks they're correct. But I've noticed, you know, paleontologists... They have egos, as you mentioned earlier. But everybody has an everybody. ego. They want to be correct. They want yeah. their theory to be correct. Yeah. So they don't like talking to each other. They don't like sharing. They, <laughs> they, right now, there's a, a new study about it's a terrestrial animal. Well, the people that want it to be aquatic, well, no, I want it to be aquatic. So this mm -hmm. is I'm going to have to tell you otherwise. Mm -hmm. Instead of well, let me look at that information and see how that works with mine, and and maybe maybe I'm wrong or maybe mm -hmm. I'm right. I think we need more people to be okay with being wrong. Um, but we're in, we have a very competitive, we're a very, very competitive culture. Yeah. Um, and so that makes it even harder because it's like, well, I need to be remembered. And that's a little Viking, to be honest with you. Yeah. So we can circle back to Vikings. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a bit Viking because in a, in a, in a time when you were remembered for your deeds and you were remembered mostly as an oral history, um, you would be forgotten if you hadn't done something really important. Well, today, I mean, to some degree, we will almost never be able to be forgotten because of the internet, um, social media, and the things you wish you could forget, you can't. Um, but they didn't have that, you know. But even now, we still have that ingrained in us to, to a large degree that we, if we don't if we're if we don't have somebody remember us, if people don't remember us, then then we we die. We don't we don't live forever. You can live forever indeed, but not necessarily in the physical form. Yeah. Um, but cycling back to a Viking <laughs> enactment. So what made me like and kind of attached to y'all is your setup, your encampment, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. um the Edward Edward. No, not Edward, but King Alfred time mm -hmm. frame we did. Um, you guys were just behind the chessboard, and you had a mm -hmm. very big area in the previous site that we worked on. I haven't seen the new one, so mm -hmm. I can't comment on it. Um, it's guys... a little little less space. We're a little, little more tightened up a bit, uh, which awesome. has actually worked out well for us, but um, more tense. Okay. <laughs> we have more tents we've added more things and uh more people it's just a slow thing for us because i'm looking for very specific type of people and um uh 
so so we do we do have uh, a lot of space still using all the same tents that we had when you last saw it though, and then we have some new ones that we've added. Well, in, in regards to that, um, do you guys use like historical material to create everything? Do you have sort of the research to, that would? Oh, I have the research. Pop that it's, I don't have the money. I I can't I cannot afford to make a wool tent. I mean that's a lovely idea, but <laughs> no. Um, um, I can't get that kind. I, I, I can't buy linen at the, the right type of linen. You can't even get it. Like they don't make it. Um, you know, but to get actually Vodmal, what, what would have been used to make sales, which is what would have probably been most tents. Um, at least, you know, when you're actually moving around and certainly my encampment, which is based on a merchant, um, that th those it's our sales that are our tents. Um, so I cannot use historical materials. I don't think anybody can. Um, every tent made these days is made with basically cotton canvas. Okay. Uh, and it's just, it's the thing we have to, we have to sacrifice because of the time that we're in. Uh, now the structure of the tent, absolutely. I mean, my tents are made out of two things, canvas and wood, and that's it. That's all they're made out of. Uh, uh, and they, well, they have metal spikes. They have they have metal pins that help keep them in place. So, hundred yeah. percent accurate as far as wood and and stuff. Although I have to get mine at Lowe's, I do not have a forest I can go and chop down the proper trees out of. So again, um, you know, it is sounds there, lovely. Is it so the same sort of like floor plan or schematic of of how they would have, uh, or how they, or the tents that they would have used in mm -hmm. the sense of the shape? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they were, they can only be square or rectangular uh, okay. because of the, the type that they are uh, of, of this style tent. Now, actually having tents, uh, we don't have those. We don't have a lot of that. Um, although I will say that um, the last kingdom um, had some beautiful examples of tents directly out of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles. And I was like, wait, pause, go back, hold on. You know, and I'm like screaming and losing my mind because look, there's tents, yeah. Uh, but they were totally made out of canvas um, yeah. because they have to be. Um, so from that perspective, and I waterproof my tents, you know why? Because I sleep in them and I don't like being wet when I sleep. I just am not into it. They would have waxed theirs. But wax on linen or or cotton today, um, we don't know how to care for it properly. We don't have the information. And generally speaking, uh, if you can't figure out a way to keep them absolutely airtight, uh, they will be eaten because things like to eat beeswax. It's a really good source of uh, nutrients for rats and bugs. So Yeah. So quick question on a, a, maybe a couple string of questions that I did want to ask hmm. you specifically on mm -hmm. here, maybe in the future as well, because I like having someone that's actually, you know, historian um, <laughs> talk to rather than just absolutely. Yeah, actors, sure. Anytime. Actors. But um, so there are a few sort of niche little uh, reenactorisms that we <laughs> specifically in Florida um, that also maybe some other people even in Scotland do. Uh, just because either it's modern or people just don't know any better or mm -hmm. whatever. But um, there's a couple that I wanted to mention and then get your opinion on a few things. Mm -hmm. And one of them actually popped up as a recent discovery. Um, so it became another hot 
debate. But mm-hmm. first, you mentioned cotton. And one of my researches, I'm trying to do a series called Medieval Modern, uh, Hollywood Medieval. Um, okay. <laughs> that yeah. would be fun. <laughs> that yeah. would be fun. Just kind of like tearing everything apart. <laughs> very Fantastic. specific characters in very specific shows like The Last Kingdom. My first episode will be about Bayaka. Uh, okay. Or uh, Floki from Vikings. But I've, I've, mm. I'm very, very vitriolic toward Vikings. Uh, the TV I, show. I understand. I, 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 yeah. I'm, I, I do not feel dissimilar sometimes. So that's why I had to choose... I did like the new one. I like the new Leif Erikson one much better than the first one. Um, but anywho, uh, one of the things that come up is is cotton. And then the fact that we doing SMF have always said linen, cotton, wool. Mm-hmm. But cotton wasn't really uh, widely distributed until what, what the thir- 13, 1400s. So this, let's speak specifically on like the seven cotton nine hundreds. Okay. So, so so how prevalent would that be for? And the most prevalent would be for the Vikings. Okay. Yeah. And let's even say for Scandinavia, mm-hmm. not even you know uh, the great heathen army in England. Let's say Scandinavia, where you're going to get merchants going back to there, Denmark and and Norway mm-hmm. and such, mm-hmm. Sweden, etc. How prevalent and who might actually have access to that once it's back in Scandinavia and where might that have like, like I got yelled at by, by another YouTuber be like, everybody had cotton and cotton was this. and, cotton was this. <laughs> and I'm, I'm telling the world about cotton and that's amazing. Please do that. If that is correct, but I don't know. It's not. So it is so not correct. It is incorrect. <laughs> how prevalent is cotton at that point in time? Um, I I think it was probably much more prevalent than silk, but less prevalent certainly than hemp, which everybody loves to leave out. Uh, leather, which I do not understand people who say that they didn't wear leather. I, I just yeah, it, like it blows my mind. And right. it's just so easy for a lack of evidence because it wears away. It's impossible. Yeah, but I mean, just let's. I mean, that's its own podcast, honestly. That I could just. Yeah. And I can just rampage about what is wrong with that theory. Um, and and it drives me nuts. Reenactors actually have a tendency to drive me a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them are just closed-minded. And I hate closed-mindedness just as that's just period. But um, but anyway, so, but you also, you have, of course, you have linen and uh, you have wool. Now, linen is what people would, if by choice, worn next to their skin. Also, cotton, uh, if they had it. But I think cotton was a lot less, um, like, like what would we buy today where we go and buy, hey, I'm going to go buy some cotton because of the spinning problems. If you've never spun cotton, let me explain to you that it's heinous yes. <laughs> if you don't have the right kind of spinning. And the type of spinning that the the Viking Age Norse people did was on a drop spindle. Uh, and generally speaking, they used a bottom whirl, or sometimes a top whirl, but a bottom whirl. Uh, drop spindle, which is what I specialize in myself. Um, and uh, they, they also used the Russian supported spindle, but that was more if it was the Rus. And, you know, we can start getting into a lot of nitty gritty if we want to, but um, in time, in cotton time. was probably used uh, to help full or to fill out 
so it was therefore blended with other things. And I think there was probably a decent amount of it because you can, um, have, have you ever looked at what a half a pound of wool looks like? It doesn't sound like very much. A half a pound, eight ounces. Does not sound uh, like very much. Fresh wool. Or, or spun? No, unspun, but clean. Let's say unspun, but clean. Okay. So um, no, no oil left in it. Okay. Um, I would probably, are you talking in terms of it's already ready to be turned into a textile or it's yes. like fresh off the, it, well, fresh off it, the, it's not fresh off the sheep. It's been, so we'll, as we go through the process. So the process is first, it would come off the sheep. Generally speaking, a lot of people will clean it next because it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to work with and get the, the lanolin out of it. And then you would keep the lanolin for other things. Yeah. Um, and for, at that time, that would have been what people used for moisturizer for their skin, especially in cold dry areas uh like <laughs> scandinavia um but uh and then you would comb out the wool and if you're going to add something else to it cotton then you would comb that with it so that you get them all nice and together and then you have roving um and and then you would spin from roving i'm talking about at the, the point of roving so before you all spin right. it a, a half a pound of wool um, I, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but do, do you you know what a newspaper bag looks like, right? The plastic bags for a newspaper. Yeah. Uh, one of those filled about two thirds of the way is about a half a pound of wool. Now mm -hmm. that's packed in there, by the way. That's like yeah. stuff. Uh, like a so kangaroo pouch. Yeah, but it's but I mean you're talking it's twelve inches ish. And, and the size around of a fully packed newspaper bag. It's a lot, actually, of fiber. Um, and that will spin you out thousands of yards of uh, single ply, um, which is what might be used for, for, uh, for weaving. It just depends. Uh, and that's, of course, a fine, a fine spin. And then there's, all lots, there's, then there's a whole lot of other information that we don't need to get into. So if, if there are any other textile fanatics out there who know more about it, say, I, yes, I have it. I know what it is, but it's probably not germane to this particular subject. Right. But it's a lot of wool. So imagine that same thing, but with cotton. So you have sacks of cotton, which would come in, like, let's say 20 pounds of cotton would fit into fit nicely into a sack and then that sack gets tied up and tossed onto the ship easy to transport i mean fiber is easy to transport um so i bet in getting down into the ottoman empire where they were doing a lot of their forays um especially looking at the Varangian guard and the guys like that yeah. um i think there was probably more cotton than we have fully recognized but we do find it in some of the textiles so we know it existed um it's just that i think it was usually blended and cotton like linen just it, uh, unless it's under perfect preservation it just doesn't last and yeah. good cloth was reused just because that piece of clothing either didn't fit you anymore or um, it ripped out the repair work that uh, that people did before you could go and buy fabric was impressive. Yeah, because uh, that that is just something I can't find anything on personally. Mm. So it's always been. I will try to send you some stuff. Please do. Yeah, would you be a topic in regards to reenacting Viking? So my my thought is, well, yeah, sure, it was knocking about around that time. 
Vikings probably might have had some semblance of access, but who would have had access back in Scandinavia? Would it just been, uh, say, the king? Uh, or would everybody have had been able to have it? Um, no, so not everybody, sort of, certainly. Gotcha. But uh, so, I mean, so it would be more upper level down. So it's it's hard to be sure of this because right now we are in a phenomenal flux when it comes to the Viking Age um, Nordic people to archaeology and anthropology and social anthropology. And what we're finding is we apply social anthropology to the archaeology and historical sides of the Viking Age is we're finding that we don't understand anywhere near what we think we did. Um, they were making stuff in trade areas, so far out of trade areas that nobody ever imagined before. People were making iron up in the mountains and then bringing it down to the trade centers. Everybody always thought, oh, everything just happened on the coast. No, <laughs> that's not what happened. And so right now it's really hard to say how far things traveled because let's say you're a farmer living in the mountains of Norway. And uh, but you're close enough to Kapang that you can get your stuff down there and you're doing it once a year. So you have a, a large farm and you have access to iron because you're in the mountains and, and you're smelting it down and you're prepping it into these bars that they would make. I forget what they're called because metallurgy is not my my main Ingots. source of stuff, kind of. But they were their own thing that, that was really it was specific to how they did them. They look kind of spoon like I don't remember what they call them, but. Anyway, but they were really easy to transport. They were relatively small and easy to transport. So if you're that guy and you have what we would think of as, let's say, a thousand pounds of iron to come down and trade, you could probably get just about anything you wanted. And why wouldn't you go back with some beautiful cotton for your wife to spin? Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it was probably at, at least your middle class. Absolutely. As much as there wasn't a specific middle class at that time. Um, there certainly was, um, th th I think there was actually a middle class. I think we just discount it. Um, I, I, I don't think we understand their society as well as, uh, like as we like to think, although I think we're getting closer. I think the more, uh, the more we really go back and we look at this archeology, span I mean, the archeology span of the Viking age really kind of started in the 1800s with a bunch of, sorry to say it, old fat white men, Yes. um, in ivory towers. Uh, who didn't think very highly of women, so they never for once even considered, con not, not for a second did they consider that a grave that had a weapon in it could be a woman's. Or the impact that women had in society, yeah. that they weren't, you know, the yeah. way women are treated back in, say, medieval England, but they were they were considered equals and actually provided a vast majority of what society needed. I would say in all fairness, as much as I would love it, love to be able to say, yes, it was the, the, the Viking Age had equity that we don't have. I, I think they did have some equity that we don't have. Um, I mean, we're only just now as women. We only got the vote 103 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and we're supposed to be enlightened in this country. Mm -hmm. um, 100 years. Like for a whole half of the population was just, no, you don't get to vote. Um, you don't have any say. You don't know enough. You're not smart enough to decide yeah. what you think. Um, and we do know that that was not the case in the Viking Age. Uh, women certainly did uh, take part in voting. Um, generally speaking, um, if there was a man that would speak for them, then the man would speak for them. But if she didn't have a man who spoke for her because she just didn't have one, um, 
a woman could speak for herself, especially in Iceland at the thing, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. But now uh, the Valkyries loom, you're really, really, really gonna like this because, um, and there's a great article uh, that does a nice breakdown. You can probably get a hold of more easily in Scientific American called the, um, the Power of Viking Women. And it has a breakdown of Dr. Smith's work that makes it very, very quick and easily digestible so that when you go into the book, you can go, oh, okay, I see where she was going with this. Um, but what she's discovered is women absolutely, and this is what I based six years ago before uh, Smith's work came out. This is what I based our, our encampment on was we are textiles merchants. We travel the known Viking world because of textiles. Why? Well, that's just cloth. Cloth was probably one of the most important things that, that existed. I mean, you could say civilization was built on cloth mm -hmm. if you really take a look at it from the right perspective. And in general, women have controlled textiles in almost every culture that we have found and studied. They, they, they controlled it up until the Industrial Revolution. We lost a lot. We lost a lot. And we're only just now starting to get it back. Women owning their own businesses? I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. Even in the 1950s, that was almost unheard of. Yeah. And, and, and traveling into another topic that's a bit of a, a debate, mm -hmm. um, at least with casuals. We'll call them, you know, call them the casuals. Casuals uh, is nice. I like that. The casuals. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people that don't know any better. But there's also but they're some just people... dropping by. They're dropping by for a Viking Age visit. Yeah. <laughs> I like I it. I also <laughs> see people in reenactment, including my group, uh, who do it. But I, I, I don't know. Anywho, uh, so the obvious stereotype, and I'm not talking about the horns. We know that that's not a thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh. Is fur on fur pelts, whole pelts on oh. shoulders. Oh, that, my God. I don't know why, but that is such a hotly debated topic. And I think it's because it's so horrendously overused in Hollywood is the reason why yeah. we're even bothering to debate it. Because do I think it happened? I absolutely believe it happened. Do I think it was done the way we see it in film? No. Do I think people were stitching together, you know, wolf pelts so they could wear them? Yeah, I do. Do I think when men were, wore bears, you know, to become a bear, to take on the spirit of the animal. That is Norse shamanism to the to the bottom line. It's 100% I think that happened. Do I think it happened in huge armies running across a field? No, probably not. Indeed. Do I think and some of them had it? Yes. Do I think and, uh, women found beautiful pelts and wore them because they're like, I wear a pair of very beautiful red foxes. Uh, when it's when it's cool enough in Florida, um, and those foxes that I wear across my shoulders, people I've had people say, "Oh, well, they wouldn't wear it like that." And I'm like, "Really? Because you think women weren't vain in the Viking age? Mm -hmm. These girls are beautiful. My my foxes are beautiful. They're the same color as my hair. They match my hat. I look very put together when I have them on." Yeah, and, and I, I mean, the Vikings think that's changed. Had fashion. Yes. They were vain, amazingly vain people. They loved to look good. And I bring up the fur, obviously the, the whole pelt thing. Obviously the, the biggest breakdown is, is if you're wearing, people look at Hollywood. So they see mm -hmm. the get up, all the leather, mm -hmm. all the linen, all the fur, all the metal. And it's like, 
if you're wearing a giant bear on your shoulders, like you're melting in like 10 minutes. <laughs> So, well, maybe no. not, maybe not but, in Northern Europe, but yes, <laughs> here certainly. Turns out uh, there is a, d- a recent discovery that they did make fur coats. Yeah, really I nice, mm-hmm. almost modern-looking, beautiful. Coat. Yes, and I would wear that, one definitely. That, that fur was actually a much more prevalent trade than we realized. But well, that's one of the things say, that yeah, that's one of the things they were trading with the Ottoman Empire was they would take the beautiful northern furs because you get much better furs where it's cold, obviously, than you do in more desert, warmer areas. So that was one of the ways that they were getting all that silver was the trade in animal hides, whether fur on or fur off. And then, of course, you have the the sea mammals, which, of course, they had no way of getting any other way. Beavers, but walrus. Really, really underappreciated for the Viking Age how important walrus and seal was yeah so do i think they wore the fur to the inside or the outside so this is the debate that i i hear the most Mm. um and it's the exact and i'm i answer it the exact same way that i answer the question of the herringbone stitch um which uh for those who don't know herringbone stitch makes a beautiful cross pattern but it was used as uh what would be used today for a modern day serger so it gives you a nice dotted double line on the outside of the fabric and there's a set of crosses on the inside that that seal a seam so you only have to do a single hem uh which is great when you when fabric is dear um but people are like oh well they never used it to the outside you never saw the x's on the outside and i look at them and say so what you're telling me is no woman ever in the viking world went you know i just like the way that looks i'm going to do it on the outside it looks pretty i i struggle with that theory yeah (laughs) you know i think that people if they had the stitch we can't say they didn't use it a certain way Some people say, well, we don't have evidence. And I was like, right, but the absence of evidence is not the evidence of the absence. If we know something existed, we have to be cognizant that Viking Age culture was not set by a television set or a school system. When you go from village to village, there were probably differences in how people did certain things. And fads. Yeah, of course there were. And they would have traveled in waves across the landscapes and take longer to get to Iceland and Greenland than it took to get from, you know, Sweden to Norway, of course. You know, I mean, it's just it's just what makes sense. It's it's I think it's just hard for people with a modern mindset to mm-hmm. really pull themselves out of that concept. And and when they do, they always seem to go too far. So it's like, oh, well, they didn't have school and they didn't have TV and they didn't know what was going on. So they must have been dumb. Like, whoa, we went too far. <laughs> you skipped yeah. a huge chunk of yeah. meat in the middle. <laughs> I like to think of it as historical adequacy. Just because we don't have direct evidence uh, doesn't mean that it's still not within reason. Correct. That's what anthropology is. Anthropology, I call uh, history is the art of the provable. And in what we do, and anthropology is the art of the possible. And by possible, we say this existed. We know it existed. So how they used it, that's that's going to be open for a lot of interpretation. Now, hey, showing up with a chainsaw at you know to to, for the Vikings, okay, probably didn't have that. But can you imagine if they had? (laughs) Uh, And then a final 
final one, which is actually a very hotly debated topic and uh, uh, kind of spurred me on by watching The Welsh Viking. I don't know if you know him on YouTube as well. Uh, I have to admit, I being in school and, and, and really sure. being heavy on the scientific, I don't have a chance to catch up with a lot of the YouTubers. I try to keep up with what Hollywood's doing because as a reenactor who is reenacting for the public the way I do, um, and and teaching the public the way I do, and the way my whole group does actually, um, is you have to know what to expect is coming at you, and and be prepared yeah. to answer these. Well, you don't have to, but I feel like I need to to be prepared to answer people's questions to help them to better understand what it is that we do and how these people that we are representing live their lives. Exactly, but he did a video trying to create the color black mm. like literal mm -hmm. as gothic black mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um vanta black pure black whatever um <laughs> wednesday adams black as the right. current, current <laughs> sure, sure. And could not be done so so the debate right now is that well obviously yes the color black existed of the course color black existed but they may not have had the means even with like ink or or natural resources to make pure black, but we see it everywhere he, in Hollywood, and we see. Did he it, try? Did he try like dark sheep's wool and then try to turn it black? Um, because that's exactly. where I think it came from, and well, I also he, know some ways to get a lot closer. And, and they're more of a brown black or a red black right. or this black. They're not black black, but I yeah. mean. You can't find that. You, you. I mean, Hollywood. I, I totally feel for them. You can't find that color black. Right. Well, he did reference black cat. Well, I, I don't know if I reference black cats. He probably did, but he did reference wool. Um, mm -hmm. But wool. I actually just received an imported, full, uh, Scandinavian wool, uh, pelt. Mm -hmm. uh, and even still, I like. I have a black cat who loves that black wool <laughs> and uh, there's a there's a little minuscule window right above me and if they're beneath it together you you don't see black you see brown a very dark brown mm -hmm. so it's not mm -hmm. true black so no, it's really sable yeah so so the argument because i mean i looked at smf this year and i'm like everybody's wearing black everybody's looking gothic what's going on um really and guess what i would have done that too because i didn't know any better you know, a lot of the veterans aren't going to uh, take off their son of Sandler's because. Oh, well, now incredible. leather black is different than fabric black also. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's not the same thing at all. Right. They, they can't even really be prepared, be yeah. compared. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people were wearing just, just flat out black fabric and, and this and that. So sure. I've kind of taken on the idea that, okay, until, until there's evidence I, I I gotta be on the side that pure gothic straight up black was not a fabric. Well, so, it, well, I I believe it was. I just believe it only existed in the wealthiest for the wealthiest of people, which is actually the reason why I specifically wear and have one black cirque. A cirque, for those who don't know, is the dress that a Viking lady would wear. The the underdress, the closest to your skin, is called a cirque. Um. Mine's black. Well, one of my many 
are is black. It's a very, very fine linen. And I, I wore it very specifically. One, again, I, I have to have a certain look to draw people in. And that is important when you're performing in front of a of, of an audience that that is not knowledgeable about your your history. Um, but it's the only black I can get. I can't get the actual black of the Viking Age. Uh, but I also play somebody who is a textiles merchant I who own a textiles mercantile. Um, so pretty much any fabric that could have possibly existed, um, I take on. I do not wear full silk, but I do wear silk uh, in small pieces put onto my dresses um, in like strips because we absolutely have proof that that was done, but we were not manufacturing silk. The only thing we got was through the Silk Road, which would have meant it wasn't a lot. And it was probably garbage, by the way. The silk we got was probably the stuff that like the journeymen back in um, China were actually making. It's probably their garbage. They're like, oh my God, get rid of that stuff. That's garbage because there's mistakes in it. There's a, a really recent article that talks about where the mistakes are in some of the silk that we found in the trimmings. And and because of that, we can see that they were it was just pieces of fabric that they cut down to make trim. And that's probably how silk was used. Hmm. Yeah. It's me. I mean, I'm I wear pretty much all black all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm like the, the gothic space cowboy. But, uh, <laughs> I've always been that's great. It's, it's, I've noticed that's uh, that as well has been a very hotly debated topic, but yet is something that's just completely expected in vikings oh yeah mud brown black fur and then pretty much 95 percent of the body exposed right so mm -hmm. it's it's just like no but yeah, even if no. we're actors like like smf where we falsely claim that we're historical um i would well, say that i am i am the worst of it uh, with my giant suede tabard and black boots and gloves, <laughs> just absolutely. Well, okay, so so we also have to look at safety. Um, yeah. It's a different time. Um, mm -hmm. We, you guys, as fighters. Now, I I am a long time stage combatant. I am also a black belt a holder in um, Okinawa Shoranryu, so I understand fighting quite well. Um, and I can tell you this: wearing a set of Son of Sandlars. Um, is one of the safest things you can do as somebody who has to do the same fight multiple times, be able to get up and do it again. That's important. Yeah. Um, that safety, that safety factor is important. And Son of Sandlars come in black. Uh, they don't really come in tan. I would probably be one of the first people in line if it would. No, I wouldn't. Cause I wear all my turn shoes cause they're great. Anyway, they're so much more comfortable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Caleb made authentic turn shoes for him. Everybody else wore Son of Sandlars. Uh, yeah, uh, I actually don't. Um, and I have most of my group. Uh, they're getting there. Some people haven't quite. It all depends upon where you are in the reenacting. And I'm I'm pretty gentle with my group about the, you know, I don't expect anybody to get to my level of accuracy because it's crazy. If they want to, phenomenal. But I, you can't expect that. That's not fair. Right. Um, and, and you have to let people have theirs. Because if you say, oh, you have to be this authentic. You turn people away who might otherwise be very interested. And I got this advice from my first anthropology teacher, um, uh, Dr. Bellamo. And Dr. Bellamo was amazing. I worked so hard to make sure I got to take his classes twice. He was the, the uh, he's the, actually the archaeologist who discovered the oldest incidents of humanly controlled fire in the world. 
and um, phenomenal guy. When I would talk to him about what I do and be like, oh, you know what? I use I use an Inkle loom to just to demonstrate the card weaving, the tablet weaving. Um, it's not historically accurate. I always own that, but um, it's not historically accurate, but it's really portable and I can actually show people what I'm doing. Whereas my Osberg loom is eight feet long and five feet tall. And it just, I can't, I can't just carry it around. And he's like, you know what? I think what you're doing is amazing. And I'm like, well, thank you. And he's like, no, what you're doing is you're keeping people interested. And if we can keep people interested in the Viking age, and we can keep people interested in anthropology and we can keep people interested in textiles, then we will continue to learn from the past. And if we continue to learn from the past, we can right the wrongs and the misuses and the misunderstandings of a people, specifically when it comes to the Viking Age Norse. We can right those misunderstandings and those misuses that have brought people who were not sexists and were not racists and were not, a well, probably ageists, probably everybody was, um, but they weren't those things. And we can get that out to the population that hasn't recognized it yet. And maybe we can stop hate groups from utilizing the Viking Age Nordic people to spread hatred that they would have never even recognized. And incorrectly so as well, which mm -hmm. was going to be my final topic. Uh, because if I, were to segue. A, yeah, if I were to do a reenactment group, I would want to build a Viking crew of every single person you a Viking would encounter mm -hmm. in every single location from an indigenous person of North America mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. someone from Africa, someone mm -hmm. from you know Ireland, Scotland, England. I'm working I'm on it, man. I'm working on it. I'm so trying. Cetera, it is so hard. So it's so hard I'm, to get ethnic people to come and play Vikings. And I think it's because so many of the groups, and unfortunately, I keep hearing more and more and more about groups all over the country. Uh, and of course, I hear a lot about the ones in Florida who are not zero tolerance policy for racism and genderism mm -hmm. and sexism and homophobia. And I just, that they, they're not doing it. They're not pulling a zero, uh, a zero tolerance. I have, our group has an absolute zero tolerance policy. As it should, everyone should feel safe in reenactment. But but also, I mean, the Vikings specifically, uh, traders were mm -hmm. probably, if not the crew itself, at least in their experiences, so much more diverse than probably uh, anybody in the world. No, they were. We know it. We've actually proven it. We and have the genetics. We, we've proven it. They've done four, over 400 graves of the Viking Age to prove that the Viking Age Norse people were extremely non-homogenous. They were absolutely a heterogeneous group of all different types of bloodlines. The Aryan race is the biggest fallacy of a century. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't grasp the, the white nationalism out of this tiny island that begged to travel everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I would love a, a very a very diverse crew of people from every region mm -hmm. that I interacted with, Me because too. they would have possibly took on those people as either wives or crew members, uh, or you know, whatever. Maybe maybe sure. had a skill that and slavery they don't have. Nobody wants to talk about it, but it absolutely it existed. It's existed yes. probably throughout all of human time. It was not based on somebody's ethnic background. It wasn't based. Was probably based on sex. I mean, let's let's be honest. Um, but not just you know, not just one type. Um, 
you know, absolutely, it existed. Is it terrible? It's always been terrible. Uh, yeah. Slavery has always been a horrible thing. It is unfortunately a part still of the human condition. Um, but it was never about race. Like, it never was about that. It was me, just it these are conquered felt, people. Yeah, to whoever me, they are. Felt like a spoil of war. Yeah, it was absolutely. And it, they're, they're more of just like a, a bargaining chip. Mm -hmm. Or or just you need something done. So hey, there's a dude that a monk, Christian monk, that couldn't mm -hmm. defend the church. It's a horrible thing, but you know, uh the to to the victor comes a story. So obviously that's why I think the Vikings kind of got the 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 shaft in history that we're oh, yeah. starting to unravel is clearly a Christian bias. Yeah. Every, yeah, because they were in their land, they were all fighting each other. I understand, but there's definitely a bias. Of so. course, a tremendous bias. And and yeah. when we look at the, the sagas, we always have to be very careful and recognize that Snorri Snorrelson, I, I do believe he was trying to do the right thing. I mean, I believe that, but he had his own bias. He was a Christian and he was trying to say really good things about his bloodline. And um, I mean, who isn't? Everybody has a bias. You can't look at anything in history without and and expect to really understand it unless you can try to understand what was their message. And writing was probably extremely political, more so than we can really imagine today, because there was only so many people who could write and read. Well, yeah. So those during, were the during, people that you would be talking to. During my time of being Alfred, you know, mm -hmm. he was very specifically a writer of that mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. um, so he, being the king, is writing his own history. So mm -hmm. you clearly tell that he's going to write his version of it. So these immigrants who are just trying to find a place to live, you know, uh, granted, yeah, they're going to quarrel every now and then, as we do, as neighbors do. Right. You know, even white nationalist Christian, uh, Christian neighbors are going to fight every now and then. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, the winner is going to write however they want it to. And if the Vikings couldn't write the way that, you know, obviously the, the English did, mm -hmm. then they've got no history. So Right. Right. It, they have really, no history. They had an oral tradition. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I learned very quickly as Alfred that they, they, they got nothing. I could write anything I want and, and, and that it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Because Alfred very specifically wanted this to be read today in modern times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with, what, what are we going to do? We can only he was, take his word he was up until really, he, What's interesting about Alfred was he had such a long vision um and those those have a tendency to make good leaders not always in their time um you know sometimes we don't recognize what somebody was trying to do until we can see it you know from a a what ends up being the future perspective from yeah. the person who, who created it but that long long lens that he saw things through and i think a lot of it had to do with him, him being so sick I mean, I really think um, to a degree, uh, I, I, I'm a big believer in um, like indigenous uh, shamanistic uh, belief systems. They're, they're really old um, and uh, they're, they're very in touch with the earth and everything else that goes around. Well, uh, one of the things that you find in shamanism, all the shamanisms is sort of vision quests and vision quests happen when you're... Um, mentally altered in some manner alfred was in horrifying pain yeah. for probably most of his life 
Um, and so I truly think there's a certain part of him that that kind of maybe shifted, you know, depending upon how you want to look at it. If you look at it from a shamanistic point of view, then it's going to be he shifted into a different realm. Or if you want to look at it from a very scientific, psychological view, he shifted into a different section of his mental acuity in his brain, which was impressive. And I think he just allowed him to see things from a perspective that other people weren't seeing from. You know, it's like, well, it's too bad he was in such pain. I was like, yeah, except he couldn't have been who he was, I don't think, if he hadn't been in that pain. That's my opinion. Yeah. But I also think it's a little funny. His his vision was aided by a Dane. Oh yeah. In King Canute. Uh, yes. Yes. And well, others. That were yeah. unnamed. I mean, that's one of the things that I liked about The Last Kingdom is mm -hmm. I, I like this in the Chronicle Unnamed Warrior that um, that made a huge difference in in the history of uh, the Anglo-Saxons. It's I thought it was a really fascinating way that they put it together. Did they do everything right? No, I actually thought they did a lot of things more right than many others. Yeah. Um, there are better ones. I mean, let's face it, Skarsgård's uh, most recent, the the Northman, was just delicious. That was good. Delicious. We did a we did a review. It was, it was a very important film for mm -hmm. representation. Extremely. But as a film itself, just kind of like a four out of ten. But for representation, just brilliant. brilliant. Well, I think they just they didn't they didn't market it correctly because. Um, I'm sitting there with uh, with my son, who's nine at the mm -hmm. time. Yeah, he's nine. Uh, my husband, who is, uh, we won't say. Um, and then uh, my best friend, Tim, who, you know, Tim, he's our weapons yeah. guy, big dude. And, um, and, and Tim and I are of an age. And Tim Thornton, my son, and I loved it immediately. And my husband did not enjoy it. He's like, oh, my God, could that have been more boring? What the hell? And I was like, look at it from this perspective. It's a saga that's been put in front of you as a film because it's absolutely a perfect Viking saga. Yeah. It, it's every element. And then they did it deliciously as far as historical accuracy was concerned. I, I was so impressed with it. And when he looked at it from that perspective, he's like, Oh, I get it now. Yeah. I'm like, I think, yeah. I think a lot of people saw the Lion King and Hamlet. And, and I guess that's well, you that. know, I, I mean, completely understand okay. that. I, I get it. Understand that because I myself am looking into it from the Viking perspective, from the mm -hmm. historical perspective. But then, as someone who loves uh, good stories, well-written stories, and that's very important to me. Mm -hmm. I'm very picky about my media, and mm -hmm. I took a long time to come around to things. Uh, gotcha. The story itself, obviously, it is the saga. Like that's yeah. where it came from. But the fact that we already had the Lion King, we already had Hamlet interpreted, and, and this and that, like it's kind of already been done to death, sort of. Mm. Makes no, it Romeo like, and Juliet has been done to death. Yeah. Hamlet, little less so. <laughs> There's so, not enough Macbeth in the world as far as I'm concerned, but there again, I've played the lady and I love that play. And by right. the way, saga. I mean, could Macbeth be more of a Viking saga than it really was? They just put it in Scotland because I don't think they could have, you know, sold it if they were doing Norway. Yeah. And Shakespeare was nothing if not a marketer. Guy was good. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and clearly, uh, as as people are fraught with the AI imagery crap now, is, mm -hmm. is a good artist steals. 
and he clearly stole everything. Mm-hmm. That's how we know everything uh, from those times, from like the sagas and such. So I will well go ahead and let you go in a bit. I have just one question. Okay. And that's obviously uh, your links and locations. How do people find your group and yourself? Like if there's an Instagram or or a, or a website for your studio or something. Uh, so on... Um... Yeah, yeah. I wish I had a studio. We constantly talk about all the videos that we need to do, and then it's just the getting everybody together part is is mm-hmm. always difficult. But, um, and we're terrible. Like we are the worst, um, uh, media presence. We are we are always so involved in doing the work that we do as as uh, educators and reenactors. Because I consider myself an educator yeah. first when it comes to this. Um, I'm so busy teaching. I'm so involved and I don't make good faces when I am. Um, I'm extremely passionate about stuff and I have enough Irish and Scottish background that my hands wave around whenever I talk that, you know, I always have the worst looks on my face when people take pictures and we don't take enough pictures of ourselves. So, um, if anybody has pictures of the Viking camp for the Sarasota medieval fair, please send them along, uh, to the dragon's head and it's dragons with an apostrophe s um dragons head productions on facebook um we do have a website which is dragonsheadproductions.com uh, but uh it's not as updated as most yeah. people's websites these days so our, our best presence is probably uh facebook and to some degree instagram as well i'm i'm on both of those um and uh I, i'm just uh social media is uh ugh. It's kind yeah. of a- Alrighty, so I am currently speaking in front of my Yeti X rig situation. Uh, slightly a little bit more healed uh, along the uh, the C word there. But uh, at this point, we got into a, a, an off-topic discussion uh, regarding social media and filming and such that we forgot to actually do our outro, the normal outro that I try to do every episode. Um, I don't have Stephanie on the line, but... I would like to thank you for doing this episode of the Talk Past podcast. Of course, the start of the new year uh, with Dragon's Head Productions. So, uh, of course, try to reach out to them if you love the work that they do or want to know more about Viking history and reenactment uh, with the links down below. Of course, uh, medieval content. I'm going to try to do uh, weekly videos as best I can. I would love to quit my job and do this daily, but uh, I need support for that. But until then, that is it for this episode of the Talk Past Podcast. Y'all enjoy the day. Pip, pip, cheerio.